0: Hey what's up guys this is episode 14 of the Landscape Photography Show and on the podcast today I have a special guest his name is Thomas Mangan and I've been following Thomas on social media for a long time now we've talked back and forth on Twitter and interacted a little bit but I wanted to bring him on the podcast for a few very specific questions that I've always wondered about his amazing photography of Rocky Mountain National Park And one of the things specifically that I was wondering, and I think one of the big takeaways from this episode today is how you photograph locally without getting really tired of just location fatigue. You know, you always shoot the same locations near your home over and over, and at times you're kind of like, well you know there's got to be something else here that i can go photograph and i think that's where that big wanderlust comes in to a lot of photographers minds of man i got i got to get out west or i got to get out of the country to see other places well Thomas in this episode shares a lot of his thoughts about why he likes to shoot local in Rocky Mountain National Park so much, so close to his home, and a lot of the places that he's visited several times over and over to photograph. We also talk about different things like film versus digital. We talk about things like work-life balance and things like that in landscape photography. So sit back and relax and enjoy today's episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up guys, on the podcast today we have Thomas Mengen. Now I found Thomas and I've been been following him uh, quite a while on Twitter uh, and I'm always shocked at how much he actually gets out into the field to shoot. It's it's almost like every single morning he has something else that's up on Twitter. And I actually find myself looking forward to see what you go and, and get out and shoot Thomas. But I was interesting to know before we get into like Rocky mountain national park and some of the things uh, that you do with photography, what was the point in your life, where you where you thought like I can act, I can really do this.
1: Uh, I, I thanks, David, for having me on. First of all, but um, you know, I think like most photographers, I probably go through and question that every day a little bit. But um, <laughs> you know, I think it's uh, I don't know if you ever actually feel like you can you you feel like that completely because things change so much in the industry, and I've been shooting and, 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 uh, photographing for, um, really seriously since I'd say 1994, 1995 when I was in college. And that kind of takes you back to the film days and uh-huh. there's just been a lot of change since then. So every time you get comfortable and feel comfortable, something happens, uh disruptor or something like that, and, and things change a little bit. You also have, you know, life, um, yeah, things like marriage, buying home, kids, and all these other things that come in between there. And, um, just try to keep your focus, uh, or your eye on the prize, so to speak, and kind of work through those. So there's been times when I've been able to commit a lot of time to photography and other times when, you know, maybe I haven't. Um, that's not to say that I've, uh, I've been fairly lucky in that I haven't ever really lost interest in it or experienced much burnout. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you've had I've had other things happen along the way where you're just you're just you're just uh, it kind of has to go on the back burner or you can really only do it, you know, uh, periodically uh, as much as you can just because of other life, you know, issues and, and, and responsibilities that you need to take care of. But it's it's always sort of been my intention to, uh, I guess, in, just at the end of the day, my intention is for me to get out in the field as much as I can. and And what do I have to do? um, so that I can do that because, you know, really the the most valuable commodity there is time and, and you really need the time to do that. Um, but you obviously have other commitments and bills and responsibilities that have to be addressed as well. So, um, it's kind of, um, you know, I would say just back to your original question, uh, you know, I, you know, 20 years ago, uh, Prior around ni- 1998, I moved out to Boulder from from New York. Uh, I grew up just north of the city, and um, I was out here and just really uh, um, started shooting quite a bit. And and was introduced more or less to landscape photography. At that point, I had been photographing other subjects, um, and I you know would go to. Uh, Borders books or Barnes and Noble, just to sort of date myself. This is not that the Seriously. the 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 internet was around, but it wasn't yeah. the, the resource that it was now for photography. But I'd go and and I'd sit there and I'd look at coffee table books from you know John Fielder and Todd Caudle out here. I just sit there for for hours and and scroll through all these different pictures and images and and um uh you know thought oh wow these guys can can make coffee table books. They must make you know. Uh, good money there's a career here obviously a little bit naive there it, it, not understanding how hard it was though maybe then it was a little different but but that's sort of what what you know ignited the spark to say oh you know maybe i can can do something with this and and maybe you know um you can monetize it and and and, and create something where you can support yourself and and, and photograph and travel more uh that way
0: yeah, let's go all the way back. You said when you start, you said 1994. You started.
1: I would say, ser- you know, seriously, I think like most photographers, I have you know my dad. Um, he worked for IBM and was in the Navy prior to that, and traveled a lot. And he would take photos wherever he went, and we'd have you know on Sunday nights at my house, he he'd break out the slide projector and we, we, we'd watch, you know, his slides of all the places he had been all around the world. He'd, he'd show them, um, on the wall and, and, uh, in the living room. And, and, um, we'd sit there and watch and see all these things. And I think that is what ignited the the passion in me. You know, I, I would say my dad was more of a casual snapshooter, but I mean, he had a, a 35 millimeter camera and, um, you know, would, would, was fairly decent. Um, a fairly decent photographer, but that, that, that sort of ignited it. And he had a camera always, and we would travel. And, you know, if, if I, we were out traveling, he would uh, let me take images and, and so forth. And we were, we were, you know, on vacations. And, and so I got to understand how to use the camera in a basic sense. And, um, uh, sort of that sort of ignited it. I didn't, didn't have the, you know, at, at 15 or 16, I was into sports and doing other things and, Um, I did take classes in high school. Um, and so I, I had an interest, but it wasn't the same kind of interest. It wasn't until after college that I, um, or actually I should say during college where I had more free time. All of a sudden I wasn't playing sports anymore. Uh, that, that, that had not that it hadn't passed me by in high school, um, you know, riding the, riding the bench on, on some of the varsity teams, but I still had that. (laughs) I had the, the camaraderie with playing sports that, that occupied a lot of time um, and, and kept me busy. Once I got to college, all of a sudden you have a lot of free time, um, when you're not studying or, or partying or whatever. And that's when I, um, I was in, um, going to college in, in Western Maryland, right at the tip of the Blue Ridge mountains to small, small, uh, college called Mount St. Mary's and, um, uh, right on the Maryland, Pennsylvania border and, and beautiful area. And, um, you know, I had free time on the weekends and, and because we were kind of in the middle of nowhere, we could all have cars and, and I was able to have a vehicle there. So I had a vehicle and I was traveling around and, you know, wanted something else to do with that. And that's where kind of the interest in photography picked back up. I had, had my dad's camera with me that I took back with me after my uh, first semester in college and started traveling around that area and taking pictures. And, you know, the natural progression is you, you kind of, you want your pictures to improve and you want to get better. And, and um, you know, like I said, at that point I had time um, when I wasn't studying and and doing other things to, to practice and travel and and improve my photography. And I just, you know, really fell in love with it at that point. I mean, I just really enjoyed it and I had something to, to sort of focus on um, outside of school, which may have been good or bad, but um, uh, I, I, that, that was kind of where, where that, uh, spark reignited for me,
0: um, at that point. For sure. And you were using a four by five film camera, correct?
1: Well, I, I was. Well, that's later, but yeah, at that point I was using, you know, when I started, I, I sort of stole my dad's, he had a Minolta Maxim <laughs> camera. And, um, like, you know, I, I more or less one time I was home for break and I just kind of said, I'm going to, I'm going to take it back with me. And, and he didn't, didn't mind and, um, took it back and, you know at first i was i was just using you know just regular print film and then you know had uh, more research i had done then and just just looking at magazines like outdoor photographer and so forth you know people were shooting slide film and that's when i started shooting uh kodachrome 64 and kodachrome 25 and and then eventually you know moved to 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 fuji velvia um and and that was um it wasn't until i moved out to colorado in 1998 um, and became more serious with the, with, with the landscape photography in particular that, that, um, I started to, to look at moving formats to, to a four by five format. And I ended up doing that in, in 2000, um, right around the, uh, the beginning of, of 2000, I, I got my first four by five camera and, and started shooting that, but I had been shooting, you know, 35 millimeter slides with, with my, um, dad's camera which eventually I, I bought a nikon f4 um film camera which was when i got out of college and was working and i could um squirrel away enough money to buy that that was kind of a, a huge deal back in the day you'd look at the the back of the magazines at the bnh ad because you didn't couldn't go online and, and surf their uh surf their catalog so you get the, the the outdoor photographer and have would have a page of of all the camera equipment and you could scroll through that and and kind of drool over it that way and you know eventually I don't remember what the f4 was in in 1996 so it was probably 1800 bucks or something but eventually saved up enough money to get that and some lenses and then I had my own camera and that was kind of a big deal for me at that point and then I, I gave my dad back his camera so um,
0: this is but, really going to date you when you pick that up in 2000 I was in the sixth grade
1: <laughs> yeah so that was uh yeah. So 2000, yeah, that would, that would, that would, I guess would, would date me a little bit. I'm kind of, kind of in between. I, I think I've been shooting for a long time, you know, I'm, I'm 45 now. So I'm kind of, I'm in that middle kind of tweener generation. I'm a, a, a Gen Xer. So I'm, I've kind of, um, had computers around and technology, but it, it it wasn't something that, you know, we, we, we were immersed in always. I had, my dad worked for IBM. So we, we had a computer in my house pretty early on, but, um, you know, I was luckily I got through high school and college without, you know, nobody had cell phones then when you wanted to call uh, (laughs) a girl at their house to ask them out, you had to talk to their, their dad or mom would answer the phone. And, you know, so you, you couldn't text them and, uh, you know, do that. You had to, you had to, uh, you had to actually talk to people. So it's a little different in that sense. So yeah, I guess if you're, you're dating uh, me, myself, I guess I'm dating myself a little bit there, but, <laughs> but I did, did kind of, I would say, you know, I'm kind of right in between that. So I, I kind of think we get the best of both worlds uh, with that.
0: Compare and contrast though, then versus now, like a four by five, you're now shooting with the Nikon Z7. What is the difference in approach that you have in the field when when you get to a landscape and you step into that? Is there a difference there?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I mean, I think you try to and there's a lot of film shooters and four by five large format film shooters that I still know and follow who've made the transition to digital. And they're just as good as they were in the film days. But I think... Mm-hmm you know, using a view camera like that, you're really slowing down your approach. You, you, you have, you know, you would buy, it, some people would load their own film holders. I usually use the quick load systems cause they were cleaner, but um, it was pretty expensive. You get 20 sheets of film, I believe in a box and you may go on a trip for a week or 10 days and you may have, you know, two or three boxes of, of Fuji quick loads with you. So you may have 60 exposures. And so you really had to pick and choose and if you really had a good composition, you might shoot and bracket, you know, two sheets or maybe even three sheets if you thought it was worth it. But you you really had to work slowly. Um, those cameras, um, you, you know, w- with the movements, if you're off just a little bit, your your focal plane, your focus plane will be off, the um, uh, slightest amount. They're they're um, they're large aperture lenses, so you're you're, you're shooting um, you know, a a 50 millimeter equivalent on a four by five is like a 150 millimeter lens. And so to get the depth of field where you need it to be, you would shoot at F32 and F45 a lot of times so that you would have everything in focus, which meant you would have really long shutter speeds and, you know, any bit of wind would, would move leaves or flowers. And so it was really tricky because even if you had great light and a great composition, uh, there were a lot of factors around. You couldn't bump your ISO up. You know, you couldn't you couldn't um, focal do focal blending or anything like that. And so, you you really had to be slow in your approach. You had to wait a long time for things to work. And sometimes you would just take shots and and you get you go to the lab and you'd be excited and you would throw your your transparencies on the light table in the lab and and they would all be junk either exposed improperly or there'd be a lot of motion blur in them and, and, you know, I mean, that was just the way it was. So you didn't think too much of it. You would just say, Oh, you know, I mean, so you, you realize sometimes you missed opportunities, but it would uh, you know, it's just part of the process. It's just something that you did. And and sometimes it, it worked and sometimes it didn't, but I think it slows your approach down. Um, and now I think with digital photography, you can, you, you, you know, I definitely work more quickly now. I take more, images now, um, more compositions. Now I move around a lot more now. Um, so, you know, I think there's, and I'm not, and not in a negative way. I think that that helps because I can be a little more mobile. Um, and, and if you mess up, you can experiment. It's not a big deal. It's just, you know, it's just digital files that you can just delete when you're done. So, um, it, it for me, I think, you know, sometimes I have my four by five still, and every now and then I get a little nostalgic and think, "Oh, I'm going to take it out and expose some sheets of film." And and then I go, "I don't think so." I mean, the cost is a lot, and the time is a lot. You just realize, you know, I'm pretty happy with with where the digital stuff is now, and and the flexibility with it, and I especially on the post processing side. I mean, you can really you can really, um, do a lot more. So I don't, you know, I, I, like I said, I get nostalgic sometimes, but I, I think, um, at the end of the day, I, 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 I am very thankful for, for the digital, uh, workflow and just the digital cameras. It's just, it's, it takes, it takes, um, some of the, the, the guessing out of it. It, it enables you to just concentrate on, on compositions and, and shooting a little bit more. Um, so.
0: Which one gives you a better connection to the images? Uh,
1: you know, I mean, the four by four, using a large format camera. I mean, it's I don't I, I, I don't think either do. And I I mean, I think they're both the same. It's, it's how you approach it. And a lot of people reminisce and get get very, you know, romanticized shooting with a large format camera. It's 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 slow. It's tedious it's physical in that you're moving, you're, you're moving the camera, you're, you're using movements. Um, You know, you're under a dark cloth, you're, you're, you're fogging up your, your, your glasses and you're, you're you're um, you know, while you're under there trying to see the the image upside down on the back of the, the, the uh, the ground glass. Uh, So, you know, I, I really the experience of being out in nature and shooting, to me is what's really more important. And so I don't really think it matters if it's, if it's a large format camera or digital camera. And, you know, I would almost say sometimes all the stuff that goes along with a large format camera can be distracting to what's going on right in front of you. The experience, you know, the sunrise, the sunset, the smell, you know, whatever you have going on out there. Um, You're so busy trying to refine your, your, your composition and your movements and get your film holders ready. Um, and and, you know, you get the dark cloth blowing around your head while the wind's picking up and and these things are, they they're distracting. I mean, it's a, it's a skill in itself obviously. And I give the guys who did it for years, um, you know, tons of credit, but you know, like I said, I think kind of before digital, you didn't think that much of it. It just was the process. It's just the way you did things. So you didn't, you didn't really have, uh, you know, you didn't know there are guys like, you know, today guys like Ben Horn who are still out there shooting with his, his eight by 10. I give him tons of credit because he's, he shot digital and, and he's chosen to, to, to continue with, with large format, uh, because it fits his, his workflow better. But, you know, for me at this point, um, I think it would get, it, it's more of a distraction. All, of, all of the the stuff that comes along with it, not to mention the weight and the bulkiness of all that gear carrying that stuff around in the mountains, um, was never, was never a lot of fun, uh, either that, that, that in itself can, can sort of take some of your enthusiasm away, uh, as well.
0: That's not what I thought you were going to say at all.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. But what, what did you think I would, would say,
0: and I thought that, you were gonna go. I thought you were gonna go film on that. I mean, because like you, you work so hard. I mean, digital you can just throw away a bunch of files that you don't like, but film. I mean, you work so hard for that one sheet of film.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then you know, I mean, sometimes you do work so hard for it, and you get it back from the lab, and it's got you know you had a light leak in your holder, <laughs> and there's, you know. I mean, so or you have a big scratch on it, which you then have to get out in post processing or dust. I mean, so I try not to get married to the it's more to the the image and the experience than the than the you know what was used to make it i guess um and so you know i think um i think that's uh, i i like there are film images that i have um that still hold up okay and that i that i really love and and i think back to the experiences when i made those um and and it's 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 cool and then there are digital images i really i think at this point for me anything that I've shot on film that's, that's sort of survived the the the, uh, the years um, has been digitized and I've drum scanned, had it drum scanned and, and cleaned it up. So it can be, it's a digital file at this point. So, but, um, you know, so they're all kind of, if, if they're still around, they're all more or less the same. Um, uh, as far as, you know, just how I view them, I guess you'd say, I'm still going to go into my hard drives and pull them up that way. Now I'm not, I have my file cabinets with film. They're down in my basement. And, um, you know, I rarely go down there to go through them much anymore because if if, if I haven't scanned it at this point and, and don't have it on a hard drive, it's probably it's just sitting there in, in sleeves somewhere um, in, in, a, in a file cabinet.
0: Hey guys, just to pause real quick, it's the new year, you know, one of your goals may be, I wanna get better at landscape photography this year. Well, today's sponsor is visualwilderness.com and if you want to get better at landscape photography, I think this is like one of the premier places that you need to be going to learn how to improve your photography because you have tons of articles you have tons of courses on post-processing infield techniques that are gonna help you elevate your game as a landscape photographer I'm a contributor on that site right now you can get for a limited time my courses that are available on there for 33% off if you use the code David 33 during checkout if you want to see those links on where you can get those you can go to today's show notes at davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash mangan that's m-a-n-g-a-n also if you don't want just my courses right now you can get a very cheap membership for everything that they have on that site so you can pay a fraction of the cost of what it would be to get one of my courses and you can have access to everybody's courses every single month so again if you want links on that if you want to know how to improve your photography for the new year go to davidjohnstonart.com podcast mangan back to today's episode One of one of the questions. This is probably the main question that I, I wanted to ask you. Um, how do you continue to shoot so much in the same place?
1: Yeah, and that's you know some people have an issue with that, but, um, but you know for me, first of all, the the, the location more or less where I and it's it's not the only place I photograph, but but I, I I'm up in Rocky Mountain National Park is where I do I'd say you know eighty five percent of my photography. The other ten percent is in the area right around Boulder here, you know, the, the the Boulder foothills, and then the the Indian Peaks Wilderness just up above Boulder. So really, Boulder County, Larimer County, Grand County on the west side of Rocky, is where I do most of my work. And the reason for that is um, that's um, um, an area where it's close to where. Um, to where I live, I can get to these areas, uh, in a day and just spend a morning out there and then be back at my house at the, the end of the day. Um, you know, uh, the other 5%, I was going to say, my photography is traveling. I'll take a couple trips a year to different places to just to photograph different areas that I like. But, but, um, I really enjoy going to the same place over and over again, because it, you, you really get to, to know the place, to understand it, to understand the weather, the lighting, the conditions, um you know when flowers are going to bloom in certain areas when grasses are going to turn green you know working you know on the edges of of weather systems and understanding how the weather works and that, and that really i find that to be very um you know to, to keep going back to the same place over and over again that gives you, you you really can get a handle on that and be more productive uh than say you know if you're constantly traveling and trying to figure new locations out it can be it can be difficult. I, I, you know, like I said, on top of really enjoying photographing those areas and, and, and really having a, um, you know, loving them, so to speak. Uh, I, I feel like I have a very good, um, idea of how it, how the light's going to be, how the weather's going to be, where the, the best spots are going to be to, to photograph. And again, I can do that in a, in a morning and, and, you know, sort of, I have this routine. I'm very much a morning person, which, you know, some, most, some people aren't, but that's very much how I've been. And I've always been. And I, I kind of get up very early in the morning and have my routine where I, I sort of get up and work out and walk my dog around my neighborhood. And when I'm doing that, I'm kind of checking the weather, checking the skies and I can, you know, from my, my office window here, I can see Rocky mountain national park out my window and it's 40, 50 miles away, but I can see it and I can, can get up and say, you know, the clouds look good this morning, the, the, the forecast and the conditions, this is all looks pretty good. I'm, I'm going to go out there and, and head up to the park and, and, and and kind of find a place to, to shoot. And so, um, and then be back here by, you know, back at my house by 10 or 11 o'clock in, in, in the morning, if I don't have clients or maybe even earlier than that in the summer when sunrise is five 30, but um, that process, I really kind of enjoy it. It's almost like a, I don't want to say a job, but it's sort of a routine and, and it, it gives me some consistency and and familiarity with the place. And, and that I I enjoy that. I don't get tired of it. It doesn't, it's not something that um, I I ever, you know, it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's a beautiful location and, and it's really about the light and how the light's going to be and, 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 and the potential for that in the morning. And so it doesn't, it doesn't really, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't get bored with it, um, at
0: this point. Well, so many people in photography use the term like wanderlust or, you know, something like that for you and your photography, you're going to the same place so many times. What does that term mean for you?
1: Well, I think, I mean, first of all, I mean, Rockies over, you know, 400 square miles. There's so much to explore. There's, there's a lot, you know, that's, that close to the roadsides and, and and shorter hikes and so forth that people may see. But there, there, there are so many parts of the park that are that are difficult to access, that require, you know, physically are, are very hard to get to. Um, and then you have to get to those places under the right conditions as far as lighting goes. And um, so th- there's just, there's so much to do there. I, you could spend your, your lifetime photographing there and never even scratch the surface. So to me, it's, it's you know, what happens is, Uh, with with a place like Rocky Mountain National Park, you start, you know, a lot of photographers start shooting places close to the roadside. They're shooting Moraine Park. They're shooting Trail Ridge Road and um, maybe Bear Lake and Sprague Lake. And then you start to explore more. You might start, you know, hiking to locations before sunrise, places like Dream Lake. And as you start to get out to those places and capture images that you're satisfied with, and you start, you know, you, you open up the map and you start looking at the map and all the different locations, you start you start getting it starts getting more involved and the hikes get longer and they get they get more difficult and the elevation gain is more but it it's it becomes more of a challenge and it becomes more um the re- the reward is greater uh the experience is is greater you're you're getting farther from people even though it's it's a very busy park when you're when you're 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 hitting the trailhead at 2:30 in the morning to, to get to a, to an Alpine Lake, you know, six and a half, seven miles from the trailhead for sunrise. And, and, you know, doing that, you know, shooting 10, 15, 20 minutes of light, and maybe that's all you have for the day. And then you're hiking the seven miles back out back to your, your vehicle. It's, it's an amazing experience. And, and it's something, you know, again, it, it just kind of goes back to the process. I, I love it. Um, it, it. I mean, what else would you want to, how could you not enjoy that? And how could you get bored with that? Um, but you just constantly keep challenging yourself and pushing yourself to get to to different locations, uh, with different lighting conditions and, uh, um, and just, and just kind of, you know, that's why I don't get bored with it. If I, if I was at, um, dream Lake, which is an amazing spot and, and probably one of the spots that people are most familiar with, with Rocky Mountain national park. Sure. I'd probably get a little, um, it's, it's beautiful, but it might get a little tiresome in that, that sense. Um, but I mean, in, in reality, it's the experience. The lighting is never the same. The conditions are never the same twice. And like I said, you just there, there, there's 400 plus square miles to to explore. And you know, as much as I'd love to get to every square inch of it, I'm sure I'll never be able to do that. But but there's there's always some place I haven't photographed, um, or at some season or some time of year. So there's there's plenty to do.
0: Percentage wise, how much of of Rocky mountain national park. Have you covered?
1: Oh, I mean, it's probably, I mean, it, it, it's not even 50%. I would bet. I mean, it, there's so, there's so many areas off trail. I mean, it's, it would be, you know, it would be, uh, like I said, it could take a lifetime. So I, I it, it, it's probably under 50%. And that's, you know, there's a lot of areas that are, are less and, um, are, are difficult to get into or, or almost inaccessible, but, um, yeah, there's, 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 there's lots to do. I, I, you know, the, like I said, I, I not even, even wouldn't even try to venture a guess on how much I haven't seen, but it's a, it's a lot still.
0: Is family life a a driving force for you behind that too, of of staying more close to home?
1: Yeah. I think for me at this point, it, 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 definitely, um, factors in. I, like I said, I like being home at the, you know, I like being able to get out, photograph, Uh, You know, have the experience of being out in the wilderness, uh, the physical experience of hiking to a location and kind of really tiring yourself out and then coming back here to my house and to my office and, you know, I I can be with my, my wife who's a teacher, so she's off in the summer Um, and, and my daughter, I can see, see them every day. And, you know, I can be out here and and be like suburban dad cutting my lawn, you know, after I've just gotten back (laughs) from, (laughs) from hiking 15 miles round trip and shooting sun sunrise at at some, some remote Lake in the park. And then, you know, I'm just out here going for a bike ride with the family and that I, I enjoy that. I mean that, you know, I know it's very trendy now to, for, for people to travel all around and to, to, to get you know, to get a, a van all tricked out and, and to, to, to hit every national park that you can and spend, you know, months and months and months on the road. And that's cool. Uh, but, you know, for me at this stage in my life, I enjoy, um, being able to, 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 to both, you know, feed my creativity, get out there in the field a lot, and then still be, be home. And that, that, you know, that, that balance is important to me. So I, I do, do like that. And, and again, there's, you know, t- 20 years ago, when I first started really getting serious about this, I would have lived lived in a van all year as well. I would have had no problem with it. I mean, that that would have been my my dream at that point. At this point in time, it's not. So, um, you know, from that standpoint.
0: I can hear people saying, though, like in the background or maybe if they're listening in their car or something, well, easy for you to say you live right on the edges of Rocky Mountain National Park. Do you ever encounter that? And what do you say to people who are like, well, like, I just don't have any places around me to go photograph?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that. you know, I can relate to that in a way, um, in a lot of ways, because like I said, after I graduated from college, I always had a fascination with the West and I wanted to, what I, I knew when I, you know, there's a lot of things I probably I probably thought I knew, but I, I there's one thing I knew when I graduated college, and i, I what it was was I didn't want to I didn't want to get on the train every morning and commute down to Manhattan and work down in the city and 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 you know, commute back. I mean, that's what a lot of people did. I grew up just in the northern suburbs of New York City and I'm not knocking that in any way. It's a lot of fun. And a lot of people really like it. I mean, especially when you're in your twenties, that's a lot of, a lot of fun to do that. But I, I didn't want to do that. I was, I'm not a, a, a city person in that sense. Um, and I, I wanted to get out and away from, from that. And I had, um, friends from high school who had moved out to Boulder and I had, um, been traveling out West and, and, and stopped to see them and and thought to myself, Oh, this, this is where I'm going to live. I'm going to, going to move out here. And, uh, you yeah, know, went back to New York, worked for another year, saved up money and then moved, moved out here. And, you know, it, so I had to, I had to work for that. And then, you know, I'll be honest in, in we were kind of just joking about this before we started recording about places like Nashville and, and Boulder that had become very popular. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, you, you really have to, I would I would tell people to to move to areas where, where they're going to be happy and enjoy themselves if they can support it. But it, it it's very competitive, um, you know, living in a place like Boulder or Colorado. You have people from all over the country and world who want to live out here, who love the mountains, who love to ski. And you you have a lot of very educated people. You have lots of people with, you know, doctorate degrees, waiting tables in Boulder so they can go skiing or hiking on the weekends. So it's very competitive. So you really have to, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's a sort of misnomer that some of these places are sort of, are laid back and, and, and more relaxed and they are in one sense, but they're also very competitive. You have, you have people who are very talented moving out to these locations and whatever their niche is, if it's photography, if it's, you know, skiing, they're, that they, they're going to prioritize that in their work-life balance. You know, they may, they may, they may decide to do something a little bit different so that they can, uh, in, you know, do things that they love on the side or, or more than, than usual. And so it's, it's, um, it sounds great. You go, Oh, you, you live close to to Rocky Mountain national park and you can be up there every morning. And, and I live, you know, someplace where it's not all that scenic. Um, you know, I would say, that's true. It's also, it, it's a challenge to live in a location like this. You really have to work. You really have to, you, you, you know, you you have some breaks here and there. You know, you come out to a place where you don't have family and friends. You've really got to kind of hustle on your own to get situated. So it's it's different in that sense. But, but just to go back to your original question, as somebody who grew up, you know, in the northern suburbs of New York, which is actually, it's actually a very scenic area, uh, especially like in the fall. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to always shoot in your backyard and that's what I'm doing now, but you can do that more or less anywhere, um, anywhere you spend a lot of time and you get to to understand the lighting and the conditions. And when certain locations are nice, it could be a small pond in a neighborhood, you know, but you could, you could find some spots and, and you could just start, start with that. I mean, everything doesn't have to be half dome, um, you know, or, or, um, you know, uh, dream lake or something like that there's plenty of opportunity out there um even in in small scenes and intimate scenes in in pretty much anyone's backyard and i mean i think that's where i'd start and then i would say if if you really feel that strongly about you know photographing in, in locations like national parks then then you could start looking into you know how do you how do you get to those places and live close to one you know Live close to a location where you can get out more and, and shoot sort of grand landscapes and more, you know, what people would say, I guess, are, are more scenic, but um, locations. But
0: yeah, I, I like to tell people. I mean, I live in West Tennessee. What there's literally nothing out here. It's flat. There's farmland. If you just draw on a map a a circle of a 3 hour drive radius around your house you're going to find some pretty cool spots
1: yeah i mean without it, are you talking in general just anybody's yeah, house yeah where you are yeah yeah i think without a doubt there's 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 lots of um you know there's lots of uh, for the most part there's lots of you know the united states we still have lots of open land and lots of open places and and, and places that are you know accessible and whether it's state parks or national parks or county parks. I mean, there's, there's, there's places you can go. And, and yeah, I mean with three hours almost pretty much anywhere, I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be close to something um, within three hours. So um, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's that, that there, there's something, you know, for some people, it's just, it's where you grew up. It's what you see every day. It's hard to appreciate it as much. And it's, it's funny, like growing up in New York, even though it's a very pretty area, I, I, I appreciate it much more now when I go back there to visit family than I did when I lived there. So it, it's kind of almost turned on me. I go back there, and whether it's for fall color or my, my wife, um, her family is from upstate New York, the Finger Lake areas. There's all these beautiful gorges, and you know, I go back there, and there's, there's, there's a million things to shoot. And, and, and you know the weather is never great back there a lot of times. You get a lot of rainy, cloudy days. But that stuff's great for waterfalls and streams. I mean, out here we can go, you know, we just went through the fall out here in Colorado and you you probably have seen other photographers, I don't want to say complaining, but just kind of. We had a strange fall out here in that we we it it started really late and we had lots of clear blue sky days. We didn't have Mm -hmm. much weather and so Yeah, no clouds. (laughs) Yeah, no clouds and everybody was complaining. I mean you can go you can go two weeks out here and not see a cloud in the sky. And so, you know, sometimes when I when I live back in New York and um on the east coast, those gray rainy days could get you you'd almost get depressed over it, you know? And Now I look at that and I'm like, man, I would I would love a cloudy rainy day out here in Rocky cuz I could go, you know, clean up on waterfall shots or or fall color shots, moody shots in the fog and so, you know, it's it, it's it just it's all perspective, I guess. You know, things just just kind of reverse there a little bit.
0: Yeah, you were just talking about, you know, East Coast versus West Coast and that's one of the things that I always like to to talk to photographers who have experiences on both sides and there's such such like a I don't know if it's like ingrained in us as people who live in the United States is like go west explore out west but I almost see a resurgence of interest back in the eastern side especially this year I saw a lot of people going up to Acadia for fall color obviously it's a beautiful area but I had never really seen that much interest from people out west going out east to shoot fall color.
1: Yeah, there's always, uh, you know, they talk about it in sports. They always talk about the East Coast bias with sports mm-hmm. and the sports teams. There's sort of a West Coast bias with photography. I think it always seems like the the open, gigantic landscapes of the West are always sort of you know, they're romanticized, and and photographers want to go out there, I, I, out here, and and you know, part of that is the accessibility's better. I mean, you have tremendous swaths of public land out here, so you can you can ex- uh, access things more easily. Um, you know, and so, uh, and then the East coast, there's just, you know, you have more cities and more people. And so, you know, you can't, if you're, if you're say camping or, or, you know, even going in a van somewhere, it's harder to find places to stay. It's just, it's just more dense, but you know, maybe obviously there's been a lot of growth out here in the West and in places like Colorado and, and, you know, so maybe maybe that's part of the reason too i don't know exactly what it is it's probably people looking to, to to find different locations i mean you just see you know a lot of these locations out here have been been sort of literally shot to death so to speak the iconic locations by by people um you know going out and kind of just trophy hunting and and looking for these these spots and if you're 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 looking for your own locations or locations that aren't photographed as much you might find some of those not not in places like you know the smoky mountains and, and acadia but you might find them back there there's a lot of i don't want to say generic type scenes but but more um, just just subtle opportunities back on the east coast in in my experience just from what i see there's a lot of stuff that's Maybe doesn't have, you know, it's not the, the grand vista, but if you're from a smaller scene composition, you know, fall color stuff, smaller waterfalls and cascades, a lot of like the, similar to a lot of the work that you do. I, I You just posted a shot from, from the Smoky Mountains of a stream and you commented on how, you know, most people drive right by it. And that's, that's a beautiful spot. And you have, you know, there's, I mean, how many millions of different locations like that do you think there are? just up and down the Eastern seaboard all all along the Blue Ridge mountains, just in general, where you could, you could find similar type scenes like that. You could, you could go forever doing that, especially, and then you add in, you know, the fall or, or, or even the spring when the, when the leaves have just budded out. I mean, there's just, there's tons of potential there. And, and I think people, you know, people are probably seeing that you could be, be much more unique and, and sort of, um, find your own spots and locations uh which is kind of counterintuitive to how you think of it back east but but there's uh there's there's a lot of that is really overlooked i think at this point
0: did you go shoot this morning
1: i did yeah i was up where'd you go uh so i went up to rocky this morning and um i just ended up in um uh horseshoe park sheep lakes area right at sheep lakes and it was a beautiful morning. We just had, uh, this time of year, we get, we start getting the winds really start picking up out of the West. So we get these lenticular clouds, which are these, these, uh, mountain wave clouds. And they, they kind of set up just East, uh, of, of the, the mountains. And, um, when the sun rises on the Eastern plains of Colorado, they just go, they just go neon. I mean, they just explode with color. And so we still have some lakes that are, most of the lakes are frozen over in Rocky right now. The streams higher up are frozen. So we're in that transitional Brown season right now, but we get really nice lighting this time of year. And there are still some of the the lakes and ponds and lower elevations still have kind of a combination of ice and open water. And, and so I just, uh, was out shooting, um, just deer mountain reflecting in, in a lake, uh, in Horseshoe park there that was partially frozen with, with this mountain wave cloud in the background. It was, it was a beautiful morning. I mean, I have photographed that a bunch of times before as well, but it's just, you know, like I said, I like the process of getting up and going out there and and doing that and, and just kind of getting out. I was, you know, this morning shooting and, um, you know, as I'm shooting to, to a cow and a calf moose, came walking right up along the side of the lake there. I mean, it's just every time you go, every time it's never the same twice. The lighting's not the same, you know, whether it's, you know, having two, two moose join you at sunrise is, is always cool. Uh, and there were some elk out in the meadow too. So, I mean, it's just, it's never the same. I don't know. You know, I don't get bored with it. I, I really enjoy it. So um, it just, just kind of a nice, nice way to start a start a morning off.
0: See this, this is where that bias comes in. Cause now I'm really jealous. <laughs> We don't get lenticulars around here. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's um, yeah. They're they're you know the only <laughs> the only issue. The lenticular clouds uh, are are nice, but usually you've got pretty strong westerly winds coming. Yeah, too. you're
0: freezing while you're shooting them.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's it you know and it actually wasn't too bad. They sort of start higher up and move down, but it wasn't wasn't too windy. But you know there are a lot of times you get those lenticular clouds and you're you're you've got you know, 30, 40 mile an hour winds just blowing on your, your back and you know, your, your tripod's going to tip over and you're just, yeah, it can be, it can be a little, little rough sometimes, but, but, um, you can, you can really get some, some amazing colors and, and shapes and forms with those clouds, um, at times. So,
0: well, awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was great. Uh, your enthusiasm for staying local and shooting places around you is is amazing.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thank you, David. I appreciate it.